0: morning, good morning, good morning, So better, so um, this morning uh, I have the privilege to preach here in the Wellington Morning Congregation and um, yeah just to give you a bit of a, a look at uh, the last 24 hours of my life, so I um, uh, was preparing last night briefly going through just the message for the third time because I preach it to myself and then I measure myself against it and then I spend my life repenting about all the, the things that I haven't got right and, and, and so as the word washes over me and convicts me and I bring my life into alignment and then I got all very spiritual, we, went to, we watched a movie together last night, myself and Teresa called Liflung. and um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Lifling. Uh, thankfully, my wife forwarded the first minute with the girls dance in the bikini. She says, "Les four we did." and then it 's all about these lovely Afrikaans songs, and it culminates in in Lifling. And then I woke up in my happy spot this morning on my couch uh, that overlooks Provence and the vineyards, and Lifling joined me this morning. Liffling is sitting in front here. And uh, that's my happy spot. We sit together and have a cup of coffee together. And she's normally looking all dozy and not as made up as she looks right now. And uh, we just sit together and talk about life. And um, And then declare to each other, Ekani Soner yobastani. And uh, that's my happy spot, you know, is, is uh, with Lifling. And uh, it, it pertains to this message this morning because... Um, This is a message that I believe is truly profound. Uh, It's been preached by many, many people, uh, but it has profound significance on your life. Um, It's something that myself and and Lifeline Teresa, we hold ourselves to account on this word in our marriage. Um, And uh, she quickly tells me if I am or am not abiding, uh, and it manifests in the way I love her or don't love her, whether I'm Knorrach or whether I'm gentle and kind towards us. So we hold ourselves in account to this message. Am I right, lovey? And uh, this is most probably the foundational message of our marriage. And we got married in this building 13 years ago, about a week ago. I did the little tour of dance. There was a paar mooie roosie op die grond, and we danced to das a jimmel op tafelberg. Das, das, a, das, op das a Engel op tafelberg the Am I right? Okay, I've got it. So, um, I want to quickly, just by way of introduction, uh, read John 15, verse 1 to 12. And I'm going to be talking this morning on abiding the life of love in Christ. That's going to be my message this morning, and I'm just going to quickly uh, read it for us. And uh, and then it's a little bit of a teaching, and then hopefully we won't get too technical on it, and then we'll just get into it. Okay, so let's look at John fifteen. If we can have it up there on the board, it says this. Um, I'm gonna read those first twelve verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser or husbandman. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatsoever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you may bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And uh, we're going to look just at four things in John 15. First of all, we're going to be looking at the grafting process. What does it mean to be grafted in? Secondly, God is the vine or the husbandman, Jesus is the true vine, and then the Word abiding. And if you can just put that little picture that I put up, that I asked uh, on my little clip, can okay, we have it up top there? I want to show you something quickly of a process um, called grafting, and uh, we are in Wellington and we are in wine country. You can't drive down through the roads without um, being nearly driven over by these tractors and these these V-shaped big buckies, and they're carrying grapes to the winery. And uh, this morning, while Mike was leading pre-meeting this morning, I quickly shot down to the vineyard over there, and I took out my knife, and I quickly cut off this branch. And uh, I wanted to say, an hour ago, this was looking a lot better. Now that it's severed, um, and there's no more sap flowing through this thing, and there's no more life flowing through this, you'll be amazed how quickly this thing... Starts to wilt and, and starts to die, and in the grafting process, you will see I cut something off it. It looks like a little piece. It's called a node. A node. Uh, it's where the next branch actually comes from. I quickly cut it off, and uh, over there you'll see it look I like this a clean fence. Can you let's in? You see the little window where I cut it off, and there you'll see it in process A, B, C, D. And then F is what I'm showing you now is that little node. Now, for some of you, I don't know if you know this, but in layman's terms, in viticulture, viticulture is a study of wine and grape making, do you know that that little window or this little window that I've created of you is called the church window? Do you know that? Are you Are aware of that? It's called the church window. Very interesting. I'm talking about layman's terms now. And... Um, so, you know, the grafting process is that when you come to Christ, He grafts you into the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And there's a process that takes place where God has got to graft you into um, the vine. What's very interesting is if you look at, um, and I'm not, we're going to put it up quickly, but I don't want you to read it, but in Romans 11, from 16 to 23, Paul, talking to the Romans, talks about God grafting you in. And if you look at the 23rd verse, to scroll down to verse 23, it's the same pretty much process. And it says, "And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again." It's talking about the uh, Israel and also talking about the Gentiles that God has the ability to. Graft the Gentiles in in this particular scripture, he's talking about unbelieving Jews. but it talks about the purpose of God in our lives, that he is a vine dresser. He's someone that looks after the vineyard, and when you come to Christ, you are in a sense, you are grafted in. And that little graft is placed into a new window on a vine, and then they take a, a sticky luppy plastic, and they actually bind it to the vine. What's very interesting then is that life that is in the vine starts to flow through the vine and flow through that node and that node starts to uh, uh, grow. Uh, If any of you have a vine at your home or whatever, it's very interesting. If you go and cut it um, like I did now and you let it drip, you'll immediately see the sap starts to drip out of that vine. Almost instantly when you cut it off You'll see the, the, the water, the sap start to, um, uh, to flow in and through that vine. And this is a picture of believers. This is a picture of your life that I, in a sense, in the Spirit, want to stamp on your mind this morning, and for you to get a picture of what does it mean, where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And um, it's interesting, it starts off by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And I want to look this morning at God as the vine dresser. In other words, what role does God place in your life? And what's very interesting about this message is if you look at it, John 14, uh, Jesus or John writing refers to the Father 23 times in the 14th chapter. And then you have 15, which talks about Jesus, the true vine. Then you have 16, which talks about the Holy Spirit. And these are the messages that were preached just before Jesus goes to the cross. So I want you to imagine this is at the end of Jesus' ministry in a sense. This is what he wants to leave. This is his final thoughts that he wants to leave with the church. This is this is the so I would imagine that this is extremely important. Am I right? Thank you, you're still there. (laughs) I nearly hung still to kerk outside this morning. So here we go. If you look at John 14 for a moment, I want you to read, John writes, if you look at 14 verse 2, and this is where I refer to how in 23 times in this chapter, he refers to the Father, and I'm just going to mention a couple to you. So in John 14 verse 2, it says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Verse 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known the Father. Verse 8, Philip says, show us the Father. Verse 9, he who has seen the Father has seen me. Verse 10, do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So there I maybe mentioned 10 of the 23 times, but you kind of get the picture, am I right? You got it. He's talking about the Father. He's looking at the Father and the person of the Father. What is for the Father? What is His relationship to you this morning? And what does that look like? And I want to read something to you quickly that was written about the vine dresser or the husbandman. Husbandman, interesting old uh, word that they used for the person that looks after the vine. We are betrothed to Christ as the bride. Can you see it? You don't have to stretch the imagination. You can actually see it. I want to look at the vine dresser. We're the bride. Can you see that? We're the bride. And the word husbandman, it's like we are betrothed to Jesus. But now here's something interesting. I want to read about the husbandman, and this is just written in normal uh, language in regards to what a husband or a vine dresser does. Here we go. It says, listen carefully. I want you to relate this to God the Father in your heart this morning and in your life. The husbandman or the vine dresser is more than just a mere farmer. Vines remain with him for decades. He comes to know each one in a personal way, much like a shepherd his sheep. He knows how the vine is faring from year to year and which ones are more productive and more vigorous than others. He knows this is the vine dresser, what they respond to. And what special care certain ones need. Every um, vine has its own personality. And the vine dresser comes to know it over the years. This is how acquainted the vine dresser is with his vineyard. The vine dresser cares for each one on a personal level. And he prunes it in the appropriate time. He fertilizes it. He lifts the branches from the ground. When your life starts to play in the mud, God lifts them up from the ground. He props them up and He tries them onto trellises. He lifts them high. And it's interesting the branches are lifted in a way that is lifted towards heaven. It's just interesting when you go and look at these beautiful vineyards. He takes measures to protect them from insects, what Deborah said this morning, Deborah, and disease. When Jesus refers to God as the vine dresser, he's describing the role that God the Father plays in our lives. Can we see it this morning? Can we see it? Amen. Yeah, please help me. So here we go. So God the Father knows exactly what you need to become fruitful. And I'm going to tell you how he does this. If you look at John 15 verse 3, it says, You are clean... Because of the Word. And the Word of God and Jesus are inseparable. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 4, 14 says, And the Word was manifest amongst us. In Revelation, he drives, uh, arises as the shaft says, the Word of God. So Jesus and the Word of God are inseparable. The way we relate to Jesus is through the Word of God. We relate to Jesus. And when we read the Word of God, It's looking into the eyes of Christ and of Jesus. And the word is referred to in Hebrews 4 as a double-edged sword. It's sharp and it cuts. And so the way we are cleaned by the word is that God uses trials. He tests you. He uses tribulations and difficult circumstances and difficult situations to prune us. And the reason why He does us is to test us to see if we can bear the fruit of love. And the way do we respond the way Jesus will respond. And who knows it's not always nice when you find yourself in situations when people are testing you. wherein you're in difficult situations, or your personalities don't gel, or you've been wronged or offended. It's not easy always to abide in the situation, but these are the trials, and these are the tests that Jesus brings along our way. I love Luke 6. Uh, uh, It talks about verse 27. I want you just to see for a moment the standard that Jesus presents at us, because all of us want to be called sons of the most high God. Am I right? There's a qualification To be called son of the most high God or daughter. But there's quality. You've got to qualify. And here is some of the qualifications. You have to love those that hate you. Sure. I've been hated in my life. I can tell you that. Not difficult uh, 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 or not easy to, to relate to someone that hates you. But you've got to love those that hate you. You've got to bless, listen to this, those that curse you. That's difficult. You've got to pray for those who despitefully use you. You've got to love your enemies. You've got to do good. You've got to lend with hoping nothing is returned. If it's returned, great. If it's not returned, you've got to run it off. And then your reward will be great, and you'll be called sons of the most high God. And then God goes on to say, because He, God, is kind and He's thankful. He's kind to the unthankful and the evil. And quickly, just looking at God and and who He is, if you look at the Old Testament, we know the Old Testament. We talk about shadows and types. So in the Old Testament, concealed is in the New Testament, revealed. So it points towards Christ, and there's many shadows and types. But it's interesting to note, for those of you that are making notes, or you can just ask me afterwards, I'll give you mine, it's a lot easier. In 1 Genesis 9 verse 20, it says this, Noah is the first husbandman in the Bible. Noah. You can go and read it over there. It says Noah planted a vineyard. He's the first husbandman. 9 verse 20. It's interesting also to know that Noah is the first righteous one. Jesus uses him, God uses him, to save the human race. We know the story of the ark. Noah is the first righteous one. Jesus is the first righteous one. Noah is a righteous one. Jesus is the first righteous one. Noah is known as the savior in the flood and of the human race. And Jesus is seen as the savior of the human race. It's interesting to note all through the Old Testament. Psalm 80 verse 8. Israel is referred to as a, um, a vine. God refers to Israel as a vine, and we know the shadow and type between Israel and the church. John, uh, 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 fifth, uh, 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 Psalm 80 verse 15 says, he talks about a vineyard that belongs to the Lord. A vineyard. So it's not just found in the New Testament. In Isaiah 5, the prophet Isaiah verse 1 to 7 talks about a vineyard of the Lord of hosts. And Jeremiah 2 verse 21 talks about a noble vine or a vineyard that's planted. And then finally, in Isaiah 27, verse 3, uh, it talks about how the Lord keeps the vineyard. So we can see that when God looks at us, we can see the analogy, we can see the type here, and we can see the, 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 the purpose that the vineyard or the, the, the vine dresser actually plays in the vineyard. So moving on to the third point, I want to look at uh, Jesus, the true vine. Um, And, uh, yeah, interesting to know about the church window and that little note and that picture. And life is found in Christ. Uh, From the beginning of the year, from the elders' camp, uh, uh, um, Andrew has been talking, and as elders, we've been talking about uh, finding life, um, moving away from anything that's religious and tradition. We need to find life in and amongst the three of us. We need to find life in church meetings, in our community groups, and life through the week, from Monday through to Sunday, we've got to live life together. And we have to have the life of Jesus. And, you know, you can have community every Wednesday. You can do Sunday morning meetings. Uh, and we can worship together. And so it feels a little bit more of a corporate feeling of life. But without the life of Christ manifest in and through us, without us being grafted into that vine, without us experiencing the life of God actually flowing in and through us, there is no life. And we will bear absolutely nothing. One of my favorite scriptures in John 14, 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And then John 1, verse 4 says, In Him, this is Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. I I love to think back when my little children were um, at a very young age, and and my wife had just passed away, uh, and uh, I used to drive them to school. So my job was to get up every morning and take Matty and Kristen to school, and I had about a half an hour journey up to school. And I used to drive in the car, and we would start as a little family together, and I always just had to make a children repeat after me. I've got the life of God in me, and they would say, I've got the life of God in me. And I'd say, I've got the light of God in me. And they'll say, I've got the light of God in me. And then I'd say, I've got the love of God in me. And then they'd say, I've got the love of God in me. And I always used to say to them, the life of God in you develops you spiritually and mentally. It's the Zoe life of God that develops you spiritually and mentally. And I had a friend who, um, interestingly, was, uh, he was a, in an a, a orphanage. Um, he was a druggie, he was completely bombed out in life, he was failing his school dismally, got radically saved at the age of 16, he went on to matric to, to write and score straight A's, um, he's a lovely guy, became a pastor, and he just said to me, always believe that the life of God in him developed him spiritually and mentally. Finally, looking at Jesus, the true vine, we see in John 10:10, 10, 10, he says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. It's the life of Jesus that flows through you. I want us to look quickly um, at uh, my third point, which means, what does it mean to abide? And I was um, fishing there with Marnus. He asked me the question, what does it mean to abide? And uh, we we got into a little bit of a discussion over there, and and we talked about what does it mean to abide. But I want to um, have a look quickly on what does it mean to abide? It's like an old word. What does it mean? What does the word abiding mean? And let's look at John 15 verse 4 uh, that says, in, abide in me and I in you. John 15 verse 4, abide in me and by, and I in you. Have we got it? John 15 4, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. I want you to see that abiding or the term to abide is not an option. It's not something that you decide to do or not do. Uh, It's something that, and you will see later on, it's a command of God to abide. And I'm going to give you the meaning of the word abide this morning. It's got a very interesting meaning. It talks about four things, and you're going to see immediately the analogy. Number one, the meaning of the word means to accept or submit to. So when you start your journey with Jesus, you've got to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. You have to submit. The word submit means to submit to His Lordship. I see many people give their lives to Jesus because it's like an insurance policy. I don't know who of you people want to die and go to hell. If I would ask you, I don't think there'll be anyone who will put up their hand this morning. I think I'd have very little takers. And the reality of it is no one wants to go to a place of eternal damnation where you're separated from God forever. So they give their life to Jesus. In other words, Jesus, here's my life, it's my insurance policy, and I believe you are the Son of God. And when I die, well, then I romp into heaven. But very few people want to get to the submission part that makes Him Lord of their lives. And this message talks about when you start to exercise the Lordship of Christ in your life. And you submit to the Lord and you abide in love because He has commanded it. Second meaning is the word remain faithful to. The word abide means to remain faithful to. And how many of you know that we need to remain faithful to the Lord in our journey with Him? It's those that endure to the end, the Bible says, that will be saved. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's a journey. The 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 journey of of, of walking with the Lord in my discovery of the last 40 plus years is it's not a hundred meter sprint, it's actually a marathon that we have to run. The third thing it means to dwell, the third meaning of the word to dwell, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Interesting says in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. It's a place of dwelling. Remaining in. It's not just I give my life to Jesus because I want my insurance policy to kick in. It means once I've given my life, I've come into submission, I actually abide and I dwell in Him and I remain in Him because of what I have given my life. Many people give their life to Jesus and then they take it back. It's not a wise thing to do, but many people do that. The last thing the word abiding means is to wait in expectation. And who of you wait in expectation for the coming of the Lord Jesus? I hope we all wait in expectation and that our lamps are trimmed and we're looking towards Christ. Many years ago, uh, um, just before I uh, I met Teresa around that time, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me about three portions of Scripture, and then He pulled these three together for me. And He talked to me about this very portion of Scripture, the divided Life. And the first one is obviously John 15, which we've read. The second one is 1 John 4, verse 11 to 16. Can we put that up? 1 John 4, verse 11 to 16. If you can find that quickly, is it there? Have we got it? 1 John 4, verse 11 to 16. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know, by this is how we know, that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He's given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know, to believe the love that God has for us. And watch this. It says, God is love. Whoever abides or remains and dwells in love abides in God. It's a choice of remaining that puts you in that place of abiding in God, and God abides in him. So the prerequisite is whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. And then the famous uh, uh, scripture, which I'm not going to put up on the board, but 1 Corinthians 4.8, 1 Corinthians 13 from 4 to 8, defines what it means to live a life of abiding. And um, if we have a look at that for a moment, you can read it this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. So if love is patient and God is love, then God is patient. All right? And if love is kind, and God is kind, can you see it? And if love is thoughtful, then God is thoughtful. Am I right? Love is not proud. Jesus is the picture of humility. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love is not provoked, overly sensitive, and easily angered. Love does not keep or take account or records of wrong. So what I want to say to you this morning is that God abides, remains in the man and woman that lives that portion of Scripture. So when you live a life of kindness, patience, thoughtfulness, a life of humility, when you're living that life, You are living the abided life, and God is living in and through you. Just to throw that in here quickly, in 1 Peter 3 verse 7, you can go and see there that if you're not living a life of love, especially in regards to your spouse, your prayers are actually hindered. John 15 verse 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, I want you to listen to this, you can ask what you will, and it will be done for you. Can I read that again? Because most of you people sitting here listening to me saying, is that that for real? I'm just going to give it to you again. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask the Father what you will and it will be done for you. How many of you people go through your life praying prayers that don't get answered? Now, for me, one of my biggest frustrations in my walk with the Lord is prayer. And openly say that because I read scriptures like this and I think, first of all, we can get into the theology behind all of this, but the reality of it is God answers the prayers of the man and woman that walks in love. I'm convinced about that. I'm 100% sure of it. God answers the prayers of the man and the woman who walks in love because there is no law against love. You go read Romans 8. It talks about the life of the Spirit. There's no law against it. In other words, if you can walk a love life, you walk the perfect life. And you can ask the Father whatever you will, and it will be done for you. And I know, obviously, when you're abiding in the Lord and living that life, it means that you align yourself to Christ and you'll praise perfect will. So it's not asking the Lord necessary for that new car. But I'm just explaining to you, walk living a life of love. And I'm going to uh, uh, end with a bit of a quick little story um, in regards to this. So a few years ago, I was sitting in my study. I lived on a small holding, We called it a farm, but it's a little patch of ground in Durbanville. And I was sitting over there, and I'd done some building work, and I had a wall that needs to be plastered, where they take cement and they plaster the wall. And it was quite some time ago, and I thought, now where am I going to find a plasterer? It's a bit of a slip, you know, do you phone builder, do you phone, uh, 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 do you go to the, the little boards in the cafe and see, and I thought, where am I gonna, all I need is a bit of plaster work, so, you know, it's like I can not phone a big company and say, come do it, and so I picked up the yellow pages, might be foreign to some of you, but I did, and I picked up the yellow pages, I went to the artisan section, and I started to look for bowers, bow contractors, plaster anybody who could possibly now plaster this wall for me. And as I opened up the yellow pages, and I'm sure you have these moments, but God spoke to me on a megaphone. When I say God speaks to me on a megaphone, there are times when it's so clear that He may as well be sitting right next door to me, and He just talks to me out of the blue. I'm not asking Him, I'm not praying to Him, it's just it's kind of he wants to just interrupt my life because I'm probably ignoring him, possibly. And he said this to me, he said this to me, he said, my son, this is exactly how he spoke he said, my son, you are abiding. Don't phone anybody, don't look for anybody, just ask me. I thought that's a good deal. And he quoted John 15 for me, where he says, if you abide in me, my words abide you you, ask whatever you will. And so this is my prayer. I said, Lord, I need a plasterer, amen, thank you. And it was probably, I would think, it was the next day or the day after, but within a couple of hours, I was walked outside, and I the small holding is about 70 meters to my front gate. And I was walking there early in the morning, and I saw this guy standing at the gate, and he had a oh, hold on to the gate like this, and uh, he had, like, long curly hair, and he was looking through the gate. And I thought, oh, okay, the guys are coming past. They've come to ask me for food or whatever the gate is. So, love is kind, walked down to the gentleman. Yeah, hi, sir, can I help you? And he looked at me and he said, um, My name is Alan. He said, And I come from Wellington. And um, he says, I got on a train in Wellington this morning and it's about a 45 minute journey. And I got off the, 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 the train station of Cryfontaine, which is on the northern suburbs, and it's about eight kilometers from my house. He says, And I've been wandering through these houses, all through the houses. He says, but you know, I just felt I had to stop at your gate, and I know your house is like 70 meters, away. I just stopped stop here. He says, I'm a plasterer, and um, I just felt to stop here, sir, and ask you, do you need any plaster work done? And I looked at him, and I said, you know, I've been waiting for you. Please come inside. He walked in, I showed him the wall, did a wonderful job, plastered the wall, and he left, and I've never seen him in my life again. Now, coincidence? No. Impossible. If you abide in me, my words abiding you, you can ask what you will, it will be done for you. How do we respond to a message like this this morning? And I'm closing. I I'm of the opinion that and the view that it is profoundly significant. For us as a body of believers to live the abided life. As Mike was preaching last Sunday, talking about communities and love for one another, having this uh, sincere uh, love for one another, I I was thinking through this and thinking what will define Wellington as a church. And I want to tell you, living the love life or abided life is not easy. You are going to be challenged. We all face our challenges the question is, are we submitted to Christ in our view and our perspective? Is it about being right or is it about unity of the body of Jesus Christ? And so I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you living this life? I want to end with the scripture, and it's quite a, a hammer, but I'm going to bring it down. 1 John 3, verse 10. Can we read that? 1 John 3, verse 10, and this is the last scripture that i land on. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's a very heavy scripture. This, by this it is evident. By this is it manifest. In other words, how do you know everyone sitting here will stand before God one day? He will either say to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or he will say to you, depart from me, I know you're not. Those are the two things you're going to hear. The chances of him saying, depart from me, I know you're not, are very good. You need to know that. Because what what defines or what is evident or what manifests is this. what What is evident between the children of God and the children of the devil? Two things. One, whoever does not practice righteousness... Do the right thing. Secondly, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And secondly, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, what will define your entrance into the kingdom of heaven, what you'll be measured on, in my opinion, one of the measures that God will measure on your life is do you live a life of love and forgiveness? There's not a person in this building that has not wronged someone or been wronged. I've wronged many people in my life, and I have been wronged. And I have to make a decision. I've got to make a choice. And true forgiveness is defined when you not say to your brother, your sister, I love you, but I want nothing to do with you. That's not forgiveness. If you cannot have a meal with them, you're not living in love towards them. You've got to have fellowship. That defines whether you are or are not living in love. And you know what? Just one area, I know in the area of in-laws, I know we all struggle, or a lot of us do struggle in this area. I wish I had time to tell you my personal story of my first in-law. It's, it's a horror story, to be quite honest. But after, I'd say, 30 years, I've managed to break through. I had a visit here two, three months ago from Sweden. And, and, and it's been 30 years of being kind, 30 years of loving, 30 years of, of they don't believe in Christ, they don't believe in God, they open about it. They, and I want to tell you, I've actually, and you know what was so beautiful to me, it was her daughter that died. You know what was so beautiful to me in our last visit over here in my home in Onfavak? I was standing in the kitchen. She turned to Teresa. She said this. She's an 82-year-old hard Swedish lady. She says, you are like a daughter to me. Now, let me tell you, for her to say that, it was her daughter that died. For her, for her to say that, for her to come to this church miraculous and I've watched it's taken 30 years of persistent love and kindness persistent and I want to challenge us this morning that we have a duty before God if you want to fall into the category of children of God I want to I want to say to you you're going to have to live this life especially when it comes in law to in-laws and it's as simple as this if you just rude to your mother-in-law you're out of love if you're not kind to her you won't give her access to your children, for example. You're not living a life of love. These are the practical things that we face in life. And we would rather run away from difficult people than deal with them. But I want to tell you, by this soul, all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And I hope this morning that I've been able to just sketch a bit of a picture of what does it actually mean to be grafted into Christ... To have the life of God flowing through you. To allow the, the vine dresser, God the vine dresser, to prune you. To bring you into trial and tribulation, difficult circumstances, to pass your tests. And then to bring you into the true vine so that you can bear much fruit. And lastly, to land you in this place of love. And I want us in the communities to go and read 1 John 4, 7 to 21. It talks about, it's a commandment of God. It's not a suggestion. This morning, and I know this morning there are going to be many, many people sitting here that are challenged in regards to this. And I want to tell you something. I want to confess in front of everybody. I have not arrived in this place in my life. I've lived in the measure of it, and I've lived out of the measure of it because of my own sinful nature, because of my own desire, because of often time my head gets in the way of my heart. And I want to challenge you this morning, as believers in Christ, to find this place. Do you deeply? and sincerely love the person that's sitting next to you? Or do you have issue with your mom? Do you have issue with your dad? Do you have issues with your friends? Do you have issues with people in the congregation? I want want you to consider this. And I want you to consider when a message like this is preached... We, we we as elders get together and say, well, what, what are we going to preach on? And, and and I'm kind of the guy that does the the December preach. I'm the December guy. So I'm lost on the list, but I was bumped up. Maybe because love is 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 hum, is, is not arrogant, it's humble. Maybe I found some humility. I don't know. I hope so. Mom. But the reality of it is, I was bumped up to preach this message this morning, and I want to challenge you and everyone. I have a responsibility as your brother in Jesus to tell you what is truth and what we face to live a life of love. I watched a movie recently called All Saints about a community, and I looked at this church, and I just watched how they started to grow in love to one another, my dream for this church I would love to see the power of God and the healings, and that's all wonderful wonderful part of it. But the most important thing, one day when I leave here, whenever that day is, I would love to know that I have left something behind in people's heart, that they will be challenged and hold themselves to account 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4 to 8, amongst each other and to the world out there. That they won't just walk around saying, I'm a sheep, but they actually sound. Like a goat. Sheep's bleat. And I don't know what goats do, but they don't, They make funny sounds. So I, I would like to just land this this morning. And Ingrid, if you can just come up, I, I'd love to give just time for response. This is not a message of, yeah, we're going to take the world, as Mike will say. Think in the brain, we're going to take over the world. It's not a message like this, but I believe it's a message from the heart of God this morning to us. And I don't want to bring it over as a heavy, but I want to bring it over as light this morning. And I want you to start to measure your life. And I want you to find your life in the vine and in Christ this morning. Amen. I wonder if we can all stand.